Hey, it's Chris, and welcome to the After Party. I think this is the eighth episode now, uh, so we're really starting to get into it. Uh, we're redoing Daily Tech's Instagram feed, page, experience, everything about it, and it's been kind of weird. Before we get into all the Apple stuff, I just want to talk about this real quick. Um, so, I don't know. We made the decision this week that it was time to like treat Instagram as its own thing, you know, we have uh, like over 7,000 followers there. Not a huge amount, but, you know, a good amount. Um, so the goal is to get it up to that at least that 10,000 uh, follower threshold. And what we've just been doing is kind of treating it as like a place to promote our YouTube content. And, you know, I don't know. A lot of people do that, but we want to really like treat it like its own thing, like respect it um, and and really create some unique content there, both like visual content where there's pictures, stories, um, and almost, I think what we're going to end up doing is sort of treating it almost like a blog, which is interesting because, uh, if you know anything about our past, like we started as a blog back in 2012 and so haven't done much writing at all or anything, uh, written kind of content since 2015, really when we started, um, the YouTube channel. So this is going to be interesting. There's going to be a lot of value over there. So if you've never been over there before, youtube.com slash daily tech, T-E-K-K, it's going to be totally different starting now. I think the first post is going up today. Um, it's going to have a theme, a, a really nice look. And like I said, it's going to be all original and unique content. No more like reposting thumbnails from the YouTube channel. And um, and then, yeah, you'll sort of get almost like an article or a mini mini article along with whatever we're posting. So it's going to be a new outlet. It's going to be totally different and, and fun. I think I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, investing the time there. And um, yeah, if nothing else, it'll be almost sort of a throwback to old school daily tech <laughs> circa 2012. But I do hope you check it out because uh, we're, we're really going to put a lot of time and effort and thought and energy into it. And it will be worth your time. So did you guys catch the little clip uh, that was out recently? The Apple Watch interrupted this meteorologist on air i don't think he's from the u.s it's a bbc um thing he's it's the weather guy he's giving the forecast apple watch interrupts him because of siri and then contradicts the forecast that he was giving <laughs> said it was going to snow when i think he has said that it wasn't going to something like that this is hilarious um i was just talking to somebody the other day i was like hey how's the home pod working out because i knew they got a home pod and they're like it's great but oh siri um, and I knew exactly what he was talking about because the HomePod sounds amazing. Absolutely great. Um, looks very good too. The major downfall is like Siri. And I'm not even talking about, um, Siri, like its capabilities, interacting with it, asking it things, having it do things, um, like what it can do. I'm just talking about it. And everybody I talked to, my parents, I went to, and the main complaint is that Siri comes on for no reason out of the blue, out of nowhere, it thinks that you activated it and it'll start playing some music that you didn't ask for or it will uh, say like, hmm, I didn't catch that, Chris. Or, you know, like, it's just bad. Siri on the HomePod is really bad. And you know what? It's not just the HomePod. Um, I've been activating on accident with my Beats Solo Pros, uh, with the AirPods Pros, um, just on my at my Mac, like wherever, wherever, uh, H-E-Y-S-I-R-I, -I, don't want to activate it for you, uh, is on. It really messes up a lot. And I haven't played around with Google or Alexa enough recently to understand, like, is it similar over there? Like, or is this way worse? I don't know. I assume that they're better. Probably. I'm just guessing. 
because that's the reputation that Siri and Google and, and Alexa have garnered. <laughs> but I just found this hilarious. If you haven't seen the clip, you you really should look it up. I mean, this was so bad. It almost would have been a good paid advertisement by Google or something <laughs> to promote Google Assistant <laughs> because uh, this is I think this is the top complaint for a lot of people with Apple devices. So specifically, though, um, this guy, the meteorologist, he was talking about snow throughout the, U- the U.S., even though uh, he's from the BBC, this was, so that's kind of weird. And Siri chimed in to say there was going to be no snow in the forecast. He said snow. Siri said no snow. So then, like, uh, somebody else on the set was like, hey, what's going on? What happened there? Kind of almost, like, getting in on the action, making fun of him a little bit. And he's like, well, I don't know. Siri didn't know what I was talking about. Probably didn't know the place that I was talking about. It was just awkward. And, you know, it may not even have been, having happened on the Apple Watch, it might not have been um, a Siri trigger word that, that made this happen. Sometimes when you're wearing the Apple Watch, if you bend your wrist the right way, um, you can hit the digital crown. And if it's, you know, held down, it'll activate Siri that way too. Um, and you also have raised to speak. And look, I just, on my iPad, Siri's activating right now trying to read what I'm saying. This is what I'm talking about. Right now, as I'm recording this, Siri is messing up. I don't know. This was just funny. That's the state of Siri. It needs to get fixed. Um, I want to talk a little bit about I saw this article that said Apple could start launching multiple phones every year, like have two events instead of like just one event in September, add another one earlier in the year to launch iPhones. So in other words, we're talking about not just one iPhone event every year with maybe a couple of models, but two. That's a lot of iPhones. And in my first reaction when I heard this was, you know, there's this whole thing of like FOMO and not missing out. And uh, companies, including Apple, they really play off of that. I'm not saying this is why they're doing this, but like you want to have the latest device, especially in the Apple ecosystem. There's always like a newer, cooler, shinier, better thing right around the corner. And so, man, to have that happen twice for your iPhone, which is probably your most used Apple thing, right? Um, If you have an iPhone, you're on that probably more than you're on everything else all the time. To just be out of date 50% faster that's not going to be cool. That's not going to be fun. Like emotionally and mentally, people are not going to like that if if this ever actually became a reality. Now, maybe the, uh, the article is talking about like a one-time thing or maybe not. It actually says, rumors say that we could uh, see up to four phones, iPhones in 2020 because the possible launch of the iPhone SE 2. Um, now, a new analyst report from JP Morgan suggests that the guys over at Cupertino could switch their iPhone release cycle very soon. Okay, so the article says, in 2021 is when we could start seeing the launch of two pairs of iPhones. I mean, and then there's a flip side to that too. Like uh, people are always wanting, you know, big changes or even just changes, not even big changes, faster. So it's a double-edged sword. I, like anybody else, uh, of course, would like my iPhone to like be updated and stuff. It's what it's almost like. It's almost like a software update speed, you know, like, but for hardware, and maybe that's the goal. Maybe Apple's going to come out with like um, a, an update to the hardware leasing or, or trade-in program or something where you're just, what, what's going to happen next? Like a new iPhone every month or something? It's going to get out of hand. It's going to get out of control. At some point, like consumers are going to have fatigue if they don't already, like they have with subscriptions with always having to upgrade certain people. Some people they'll have like the oldest phone and they, they like it that way and they don't care. They don't need the latest thing. But I'm just talking about for like somebody who's really a tech enthusiast like me, this could like get overwhelming 
like always wanting, needing to upgrade or wanting to upgrade. So I don't know. Apple's probably trying to improve sales and I understand that. Um, and also, you know, you have like changes in the economy and this will make them less susceptible to, you know, market changes and what, you know, I don't know. Not, I don't know how I feel about this. I do know though, that, uh, I like the idea of this rumor that I heard, uh, that Apple might start including AirPods with iPhones, like right in the box, not earbuds, but AirPods, not AirPods pros, mind you, but AirPods as the default thing. First of all, I remember when Apple started just including regular old earbuds, um, the, the wired ones, like that was cool. And of course that was iconic back in his day. Everyone had that with the white uh, cord, you know, and, um, and the white look. Uh, it made sense. And now everyone's sort of doing that. Uh, you know, everyone includes, or not, I guess not everyone does. Not everyone includes um, this. If you go like OnePlus, they make earbuds, but I think you have to buy them separate. I, I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong, but I know not everybody does it. So we're living in the wireless world now. It only makes sense for Apple to actually include AirPods with your your purchase. And, and the reason why it really makes sense for Apple stuff is that they're very clearly moving towards like just a wireless future. Um, I don't know if I'll talk about this in the podcast or not, maybe, maybe not, but it's rumored that maybe in a couple of years already, they're gonna come out with a phone with no ports. It's just gonna be totally wireless. So wireless charging, wireless everything. And if that's the case, then yeah, it, you can see how it would make sense to include AirPods with the iPhone. Forget about dongles, no adapters needed. And honestly, I think this is probably smart if they did this, um, because it would make people, I, I think that's one way to like juice iPhone sales if you don't already have AirPods, but that's only gonna last so long, right? Because once everyone that has an iPhone upgrades because they want the AirPods maybe, then they have them. And then what do you have for next year, you know, in the box? Um, so it's only gonna work like once as a big thing to dangle in front of people to, to juice sales. And the other thing is it's not uh, the original AirPods, as cool as they are, uh, like a lot of people find that they fit, you know, better maybe than the new ones, even though the new ones were supposed to fit better, but you know, they don't fit everybody perfectly, but a lot of people liked the old design and, and whatever, maybe a lot. And so, but it's not, now that we have the AirPods Pros, like AirPods, the regular ones, they're just sort of expected. They're kind of more mundane now and they don't have the same cachet as, uh, is that a word? <laughs> I think I said that right as you know, the top of the line AirPods now with the noise canceling and, and the different tips. So it's really not devaluing AirPods, this is what I'm saying, to just include them like that. And it's, I think it's a brilliant idea. Now, how can we know if this rumor has any possibility of actually happening? Well, think about this. The earbuds, the wired earbuds uh, or earpods that Apple already includes, those are about $30 if you just purchase them outright. Uh, whereas the AirPods, like the cheaper ones, not the AirPods Pros, those start at $160. That's a $130 difference. Is Apple gonna bite the bullet and, and make that you know huge shift? Um, that's where it's a little bit harder to believe, although just when you think about it though, it's just like, wow, that would be like, who wouldn't want that? It would make so much sense on the one hand, but then when you look at the price, you're just like, I don't know if that's reality, if that could actually happen. And you know, you have to look at the port situation too. There's all these rumors like Apple's finally gonna be switching to USB-C or other rumors say, no, they're not going ever gonna do that with the iPhone. Um, switch to USB-C is always gonna be lightning until they flip the switch and they go totally wireless. Um, so 
I don't know. Uh, the port situation probably has a lot to do with this particular conversation. If you ask me just straight up what the likelihood of, of is of this happening, I mean, I'd probably give it like a 20 or 30% that low just because of the price. Um, but if you ask me how much would I want to see this, it'd be 100%. So you guys, you might know, I want to switch gears a little bit, talk about uh, the MacBook Pro. You might know I got my 16-inch MacBook Pro in, I think it was Monday, just this week though. And I've only edited two videos on it so far. Um, and there's been some really awesome stuff about it. And I've almost been a little bit let down in a way, um, too, because, you know, my last one was from 2016. This one's from 2019. I expected so much extra speed and stuff. And then when it comes out, you know, what it comes down to is it, really like 50% faster in the video editing department. I'm talking about like renders and, and exports and stuff faster, but it's not like miraculously faster. Like I'd sort of hoped, I guess. Um, still I'm loving it. There's a lot of good things about it. The keyboard's nice. I'm not using it all that much because I, oh, I usually use an external keyboard anyways, just with the setup that I have. Um, you know, the new podcast quality mics, which maybe aren't quite podcasts, but are like really, really good quality. That's cool. Um, the thing is a beast. It, it really is. The new screen is nice. Not 4K, but it's very nice. But I'm going to talk about this more in my actual review, which is going to be coming out next week. But there's a few issues that have been popping up. So we got rid of like the keyboard issues. Apple really concentrated on that, went sort of backwards with the Magic Keyboard and, and got rid of the switches that people didn't really like. So the keyboard's fixed. But there's three issues that I'm aware of that have been cropping up that have people upset. Number one, some people have had issues with like screen ghosting. I haven't experienced that, thankfully. Number two, some people have had issues with uh, popping coming from the speakers. So if you're playing like a, a song or a video and you stop, then it like pops. There's some videos out there where you can see it. And uh, that would be so annoying. I, I don't have that happening either. I'm very glad to say. The other thing, which I do think I have been running into and experiencing, has to do with the machine just shutting off sort of at weird times. Um, and I know, for, for me, it happens if I leave my computer overnight. It's happened twice, at least twice, in like a five or six day span. Um, if I leave it on overnight and I come back to it in the morning, then it's shut itself off. And, it, and I get a message that says, something had to be restarted because of some issue and that's really annoying because number one it's a brand new machine uh fully loaded very powerful and my last mac didn't have that issue so it's hard to like understand like what is it about the hardware between the two models because it can't be software they're running the same software that makes this a problem or the other things a problem and so I've heard about some weird fixes and see for, for other people, I think they're just having it when they get down to the 20%, then it just like kills, dies off and they have to restart and, and whatever. I don't have that, but this, this is, seems to be some sort of an issue or a problem. Um, and for me, it's plugged into the power or whatever. So that's kind of annoying. Um, so there's some kinks to get worked out, even though it's a brand new machine and it's very enjoyable. It's helped me get a lot more done. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to just monitor and see. It's not going to be, I don't think any of these things, hopefully, well, I guess I don't know. I don't, it doesn't seem like any of these things would turn into something as big or as bad as uh, the keyboard issue from the last MacBook Pro model. But hopefully these are just kind of like growing pains. Uh, are you guys Apple Music users or are you Spotify users or something else? You do like Tidal or Amazon or nothing or YouTube. <laughs> 
I'm an Apple Music user, uh, have been since it came out. And the reason I switched, I tell this all the time, is it had to do with the privacy policy of Spotify a long time ago. Um, but anyways, switched over and it was fine. Stuck with it. It was, it was some things I missed and some things that were better and really all kind of evens out, I guess, in a way for me, in, from my perspective. Uh, but it's the end of the year. And if you've been on social media at all, you probably have noticed a ton of people posting their Spotify wrapped uh, image. And it kind of shows like what their top songs were over the year and what they were listening to. And, and it's not just like people who are listeners. I've also seen a lot of people uh, posting that are artists too. And that's kind of fun to compare like the artists um, and how many streams they got and whatever. Uh, it's cool if they post that. But if you've seen that, you've also maybe seen like some controversy brewing because the Apple Music users haven't been as happy with their version of the year-end wrap-up uh, as like the Spotify users. Spotify is really nicely packaged, it's ready for Instagram, looks a little better. And on Apple Music, as far as I know, you have to go to the web interface, which is in beta, to even get your year-end wrap-up. And I guess Apple actually calls it replay. So it's like the 19 replay. So mine, I'm looking at it right now. I, I wish it would just show up in my app, like on my phone. And I was looking for it. I couldn't find it. I had to look up an article. And it said you had to go to beta.music.apple.com slash replay. Um, and then you click a button and it compiles. It's really, it's really not a very nice experience. But I'm looking at mine. It says 19 replay. And it says keeping track of all the 430 hours of music you've listened to this year is hard work. So we did it. The songs you came back to in one playlist updated weekly. So it's got the top uh, 100. And actually, if you scroll all the way down, um, I can see all the way back to years past, uh, all the way back to 2016, I guess, must have been when I started. Um, so it says, I've listened to 36 different artists so far this year. <laughs> I didn't really branch out, I guess, did I? But I have to say, I listened to a lot of playlists. Uh, I thought that I would have listened to more people than that. Uh, the top artist, I'm sure you can guess, was Andy Minio. Um, and the top song was How We Come In by Ty Brazel and What Up RG with 1K Few. It was 1, 1K Few song. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's useful. It's uh, it's not very shareable, though. And uh, I don't know. It, it This this is, brings back. There's a couple things that I missed from Spotify. Like, one of the things that I missed was um, back when I was doing more jogging, they had a, a really great, like, feature, a playlist feature that was like synced up to your jogging that was really cool i don't think i've seen that in apple music and a lot of people say they like spotify better for discovery like discovering music and i don't know i i need to go back there and like try it out it's a lot of work though um to do both and curate things on on two fronts uh, but i've been very happy like i talked about this recently if i go uh you know to pick up some packages or to go get a coffee or something whenever i'm in the car uh at least once a week i like to say play new music to Siri and it does. And I do just, Oh, there goes my iPad again. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Siri has some major issues. Um, and then, yeah, I discover some new stuff that just came out. I think every Monday, right? Or is it Friday? I don't remember, uh, but at least do it once a week. And then you can heart those say, recommend more, uh, or you can add it to your library. And I don't know, I've been happy with that discovery, uh, but there's just little things. And this is a good example. Spotify wrapped versus Apple's 19 replay where, I don't know, Spotify does have a little bit of an edge. Ultimately, though, is something like this going to make me say, I'm done with Apple Music? No. I mean, let's be serious. Not at all. Um, I don't know if you guys caught this in the news, but uh, there was a security researcher 
um, who discovered that even if you turn off the location services on your iPhone, Apple still collects or uses, somehow makes use of your location. Uh, and once it was discovered, uh, you know, this is, and this is crazy because Apple's supposed to be the privacy company, right? And so once this was discovered, Apple kind of released a sort of vague statement, um, but then they clarified it a little bit. And I thought it'd be worth just mentioning real quick. So the issue is that uh, Apple's latest phones, iPhones, they kind of like intermittently seek your location information regardless of your privacy settings. Once it's discovered, Apple comes back and says, well, that's actually expected behavior. So kind of interesting. I guess on the one hand, it's like, hey, just so you know, you know, this uh, is not like a security vulnerability in Apple's eyes. Uh, you haven't been hacked. This is actually expected behavior. But let me just read you what Apple's response was. And talking about the location checks, how it's related to the new wireless tech that was built into the 2019 iPhone. So they said, ultra wideband technology is an industry standard technology, and it is subject to international regulatory requirements that require it to be turned off in certain locations. iOS uses location services to help determine if iPhone is in these prohibited locations in order to disable ultra wideband and comply with regulations. It goes on to say the management of ultra wideband compliance and its use of location data is done entirely on the device and Apple is not collecting user location data. So very interesting. Um, important to know Apple's not collecting your data, right? It's all this is done on your device. So that's the ultimate good news. But this security guy, he points out that it's only a few countries like Argentina or Paraguay that actually ban uh, that and that you would need this turned on in the first place. So what he was saying is like, why is it even necessary for every iPhone to frequently check if you're in one of those areas? So apparently in the future, Apple is saying that we should get some sort of a toggle to disable that ultra wideband. Um, so you can turn off those location checks, I assume in like non-dictator countries. Uh, and we'll see, but I mean like ultra wideband is new. And, you know, I guess it's not surprising there could be some things that need to get fixed here or there. But what it's used for right now, I guess this is the only thing it's really used for right now, is AirDrop. And maybe that's like overkill. They got this whole new processor and whatever. Um, I don't know. I AirTags are supposedly coming out soon. Um, and that will use ultra wideband. And this is sort of like t the tile competitor, those little chips that you can place in your wallet or your keychain or whatever to help you make sure you didn't lose stuff. And Apple's coming out with their own version called AirTags. That's gonna use ultra wideband, supposedly. So there could be a big bright future with this technology, but this is just one of those kinks, I, I guess, that needs to get ironed out. The main thing is though, Apple is not collecting your location data. Um, I don't know if you caught this, but the US House, House of Representatives, they passed a bill that would require carriers to offer free robocall blocking features. That is pretty cool because I don't know if you guys realize this in the latest version of iOS, there's a setting that lets you um, send unknown numbers directly to voicemail. And so that just by definition is gonna, in a way, handle or take care of your robocalls, except it doesn't really, it's kind of a pain. Um, on the one hand, I've, I turned that on. Uh, on the one hand, it's good because uh, a lot of those calls do go straight to voicemail and then I don't get a voicemail because there's a robocall and they don't even bother leaving. Um, so sort of cuts out the problem, but it only you know cuts out like 80% of the problem because the other 20%, it doesn't catch it like right away. Sometimes um, a robocall comes in 
And what happens is I, I, I lights up all my screens, like on my desk, got my Mac, my iPad, my iPhone, uh, whatever, all there. And they all light up for like one ring or two rings, and then it gets sent to voicemail. Like it didn't quite catch it in time. And that's annoying. And in that case, it's like, why even have this turned on in the first place? Because maybe I'm in the middle of something, it really ruins everything. Um, and really, those robocalls can just make you so mad. And so that's one side of the issue. The other side of the issue is sometimes I end up missing uh, important calls and stuff. Like, um, I don't know what. Let's say a doctor's office or something. I, I just don't have any better examples. But it's some some number that's important, has some information, whoever the person calling that I would want or need, but they're not in my phone book. They're not in my contact list. So they get then sent directly to voicemail. And, oh, here's a, here's a really good example. This had to do with Apple support. Um, I had something, oh, some, some final cut issue. So I called Apple's pro support, software support, and usually they're very good. Um, this guy was so, so, but, uh, I kept missing the call cause I went to Apple's website and it was like, you know, you can do chat or have them call you. So I said, uh, call me and it said, okay, we'll call you in like the next 10 minutes. I missed it because of this feature. I think it went straight to voicemail. And next thing I knew I'm sitting there waiting, you know, for like minutes, and voicemail says, hey, we tried to call you. We'll try back again. And at the time, I didn't put it together. Like, oh, that's why that's happening. It just was happening. And it was, like, really frustrating. It, it took me a little while to get this solved and to actually connect with somebody um, and, you know, even work on my issue. So so that was, like, almost like Apple shooting its own self in the foot, except it was shooting a customer in the foot um, with the sales call there. So apparently this is such a big problem, robocalls, that the House, uh, they nearly unanimously passed this new bill that would punish robocallers and require carriers to make better tools available to consumers. So basically, everybody that's in the House of Representatives, they're dealing with this too. It's everybody. It's, it's affecting everybody. Um, and luckily, this was something that affected a lawmaker so they can actually try to do something about it. I, honestly, I don't know what took so long. This has been going on for years. So it still has to go to the Senate. Uh, but I think it also has bipartisan support over there too. So hoping this will get done. Here is what one of the representatives had to say. This was Frank Pallone Jr. I don't know who that is. Uh, it's from New Jersey. Said, today the House will take strong bipartisan action to protect consumers from illegal robocalls. A whopping 5.6 billion robocalls were made to Americans in November alone. Uh, wow, I was expecting that to be like yearly, but just in November. So today the House is giving Americans back control of their phones. I really hope so. So uh, what they're saying is there's no sil single silver bullet to just fix all the ways that robocalls actually end up reaching us consumers. Um, but the act is called the Trace Act. It, it at least attacks the problem from several different angles. I don't know. The upshot is that hopefully we're going to get less of these calls uh, annoying us. And then maybe uh, I can turn off the feature that just sends all the unknown calls straight to voicemail. Because... That's really, I don't know, it's a stopgap thing. It doesn't work all that good for the reasons I mentioned. So hopefully we end up with something that really works really well. Um, Apple had a little event. Uh, it wasn't a huge deal for people outside of the app industry, but they kind of gave out some awards uh, for their best apps of the year. And I thought I'd just kind of talk a little bit about that. You guys know I cover apps a lot, um, all the time on the channel, and I make a lot of recommendations. It's interesting. I guess Apple kind of does too. In a way, I almost compete with Apple, like in the App Store, because you could go 
to Daily Text Channel, discover a bunch of apps. You go to Apple and discover a bunch of apps through the App Store, um, for instance. Um, but the apps that I try to recommend, I, I don't, you know, if it's like an iPhone or a Mac or iPad app recommendation video, I don't do them like weekly, for instance, because there's just not enough really awesome apps by my standards that I feel like are really compelling and different and actually useful, for, for instance. Because um, a million apps come out all the time, not literally, but uh, but there's so many that um, yeah, I could I could feature like quote unquote new apps very frequently, and I know that there are YouTube channels that do that, like it's a whole channel just featuring new apps all the time. But for me, like it's about quality, not the quantity, and that's why I feel like my videos uh, really resonate with people when it comes to the app recommendations. Um, and so I just want to go through some of Apple's picks here and talk about the app and and why or why I wouldn't have featured it. So the first one, the iPhone app of the year is Spectre Camera. And it says the AI powered app leverages a dizzying amount of tech to let anyone take stunning long exposure photos. Now I may or may not have covered this. I can't even remember, but just off the top of my head, how many people are out there trying to take stunning long exposure photos? Really you, you are going to end up being more of a, a photographer, I think. Um, if you're interested in that kind of a thing for me, like for average people, I think you're just more like whipping out your phone, trying to just take a quick picture and you want it to be as good as possible, um, for that quick picture. And maybe sometimes you might like set up a tripod and whatever and do like family portrait or whatever. But I don't think there's a lot of people out there who are like, you know what? I really need an app to take stunning long exposure photos. Now I'm not putting this app down. I think it is amazing. And I played around with it. But I didn't end up like even keeping it on my home screen because I just don't find myself uh, in, at a point ever where I need to take a stunning long exposure photo because I'm not really a photographer and that's who's actually going to use it. Um, so it's cool, but it, you know, I guess in one way it's worth them awarding it because it, it is cool. It's just I feel like it's for a very niche audience in a way. Like anyone can use it, but I don't think everyone will. You know what I mean? So uh, the next one is the iPad app of the year, which is Flow, which is by uh, Moleskin. Is it Moleskin or Moleskine? I don't know how to pronounce it. You know, they make those notebooks. Um, they have some cool digital apps like Time Pages, a really great calendar app. Um, but they've sort of switched to, for all their apps, a subscription model, which is really a bummer. I, I kind of loathe all these subscriptions. Um, they make really nice looking apps, though. So Flow, the description is draw and sketch in this elegant digital notebook app whose graphite pencils, chisel tip markers, and more have been meticulously tuned to mimic the real thing. And if this is the app I'm thinking about, you have like an infinite canvas. So it's not just like, here's a page, a digital page. It's like, uh, you can draw a little bit and then move it over in any direction and keep drawing or writing. And just infinitely, you just have like, it's like a giant, giant surface or whiteboard or desk you can keep writing on. Um, and that's really cool. And I haven't really played around with it because it costs and it's got the subscription. And honestly, the tools that I have for either free or that I already own or that don't have a subscription, they're good enough that I'm not interested in, even no matter how good it is, really. I mean, if it was super good, and maybe it is, but I just don't feel like I really need it. But I think this is a cool app. So I think it could be one that I would feature at some point, maybe. The Mac app of the year was Affinity Publisher. I actually just uh, featured Affinity Photo 
in a recent video. I think it was for the iPad. Um, I've never used Affinity Publisher, but the description is, with its elegant user experience and remarkably reasonable price point, Affinity Publisher makes pro-level design accessible to everyone, whether you're creating a photo-rich coffee table book or a flyer for your second grader's play. So really, this is like an alternative to something uh, like Adobe InDesign, which is like a professional tool that uh, people would lay out a magazine with. Um, for instance, and maybe it's not meant to be that pro. Maybe it's more for like small businesses or something. Uh, anyways, you don't have to hire a designer is the point to make something that looks really good. And actually, when I made this video about um, how to be creative with the iPad and featured a bunch of apps like Adobe Spark and stuff that don't let, you know, basically let you make some really cool stuff, professional looking output um, with very accessible tools. I guess this would fall into that category, but it's more on the Mac side of things. So I do think it's cool. I haven't used it, but it sounds cool. The Apple TV app of the year was The Explorers. This doesn't sound familiar at all. It's not ringing a bell, but the description says, this groundbreaking app was designed to support the community of explorers, scientists, and artists working toward a common goal to create a comprehensive visual inventory of the natural world through photo and video. That sounds cool. I don't know when I would have time to look at that, but it sounds cool. Um, I've been meaning to do another Apple TV uh, video for a long time. I think it's been over a year, maybe over a year and a half, maybe close to two years since I've made an Apple TV video because it's kind of in limbo there. But I know a lot of people have them and a lot of people will be very interested in it. So I probably need to do that. I need to make a new Apple TV app recommendation or tips and or tips video because um, I think it would do good. So there's more, there's more to the list. There's like the best games, there's trends. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting. I'm not gonna go into all of that, but um, yeah. I don't know. I think that's a good place to wrap up this podcast. We covered a lot of things and uh, this one's going to be a little bit different. It's not going to be on YouTube. There's no video version um, just because it's a crazy day and I don't have time uh, for that. But I did want to get the audio version out. So hopefully you guys appreciate that. If you're not already, though, make sure you're following us everywhere. Instagram for sure, since we're redoing it. But Twitter, um, everywhere. YouTube, if you're not, it's uh, Daily Tech, Daily T-E-K-K, -K, in all those places. And I'll catch you in the next episode. Later.